Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you, the Bauer and Rose Show. Every Sunday right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, the Bauer and Rose podcast, wherever you get your podcasts brought to us and hosted by our good friend John Solomon at JustTheNews.com. We now have an accessible Bauer and Rose radio at gmail.com email address. And let me read the first email. This is from M. Okay, I don't know who M is. How come Tom gets to go on all these fancy trips while Gary never goes anywhere? Well, first of all, Gary did go somewhere. He went to Normandy, but I think that's a fair question. Yeah, well, because globalists know you're an easy pushover, and I would be very difficult to deal with. I walked right into that. I walked right into that. Before we get to the non-serious stories, uh, Bauer alluded to it before we actually hit the mics here. Thursday night, uh, Major League Baseball has been played for 135 years. The total number of games played in the history of Major League Baseball, I did this math, is about 222,000 regular season games have been played in the history of the MLB. Each team plays about 162 games a year, 30 teams. It's about 2,500 Bowers rolling his eyes. Where am I going with this? Well, anyone who's not Bauer knows exactly where I'm going with this. Domingo Herman of the New York Yankees pitched a perfect game last night in Oakland, only the 11th time in the 130-year history of Major League Baseball, a perfect game. That means nobody gets on base. I think that was pretty extraordinary. That's and Bauer, and Bauer is that, silent. That's where you, you sat down and did this math so you could tell us that pitching a completely perfect game is. And uh, by the way, come I, on, Bauer. I, that's a big deal. A perfect no, game. Think, when was the last time I, there was a perfect game? Like 20 years ago? I, I think that the definition of a perfect game. Not a no hitter. A perfect game. No, no. I know. I think the definition of a perfect game is is too loose. It's too a perfect game would be that every pitch the pitcher pay through was a strike. Okay, now, now this is where Bauer. Did, okay, this is where Bauer really goes off the end. I've always defended Bauer as my dearest, uh, most beloved friend. No, a perfect game is a big deal. And speaking of a perfect game, uh, my son Zach, your colleague Zach Bauer, and I went to see uh, the the Cincinnati Reds play. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles uh, last night, and the, the Reds won in the 10th inning. A great game. Uh, they won 11-7. to seven. Took two out of three from the Orioles, who the Orioles are They're pretty good this year. Games yeah. over yeah. 500. So the Reds are in first place. They have been for about three days now. It's only by a half game. Right. But this team is real, Tom. As opposed to last year. No, it's been a, it's been a remarkable turnaround. I just thought that um, – that was that was rather uh, 
That was rather extraordinary. Now, let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous. The Biden administration is now apparently on the verge of signing an understanding regarding Iran's efforts to build nuclear weapons. How's this for a deal, Gary? How does this sound? We give Iran $20 billion, promise to impose no new sanctions on them, promise no new inspections, not even any new censures, even as Iran now apparently has enough highly enriched uranium to produce at least five nuclear weapons. In exchange, this is what Iran gives us. Iran signs a piece of paper promising not to enrich any of its already highly enriched uranium into plutonium and an agreement to release some of the American hostages they're holding, quote, in the near future. Of course, as a down payment, because that's really not enough to $20 billion in promise, we transferred $2.75 billion to Iran after Joe Biden waived uh, sanctions on some of the funds that were sitting there. That's just as a, um, you know, as a down payment, so to speak. But don't worry. I know Gary's a little concerned. I'm seeing, you know, he's, his brows are furrowed. He's a little worried. Iran promises to spend the $20 billion on food and medicine. Uh, Tom, uh, I mean, you've ruined my whole day and and probably even my weekend. Um, This is so predictable, right? Because Obama, Biden uh, did a nuclear deal with Iran, which was not a nuclear deal. It was a sanction relief deal. That's that's what it accomplished. It was all for Iran. As soon as you guys came in in the Trump-Pence administration, you disposed of that deal for the worthless piece of you know what it was uh we know that earlier in the in the biden administration uh that they thought getting back into that deal was going to be a a a crowning achievement of the biden surrender foreign policy uh and they found that that iran's demands were even too much for them to swallow so then they with great fanfare leaked to their friends in the media Uh, that they were going to pivot toward Asia and the Pacific, because that's so much more easy than trying to figure all this out in the Middle East. So they pivoted right into the waiting arms of Xi and the Chinese Communist Party, who has eaten their lunch multiple times. And we find out today not only flew a spy balloon over our country that Biden wouldn't shut down, shoot down until it finished its spy work. We find out this morning that the balloon used technology made in the USA. Of course. I, I, I just, and this is a question even the brilliant Gary Bauer is not going to be able to answer. When are we going to learn? When are we going to learn you cannot negotiate with the tiger when, he, when your head is in its mouth? I mean, That's anyone a great with. great visual image. It really is. No, I yeah. mean, anyone with the most basic knowledge of of, of even recent history knows that these so-called diplomatic engagements resulting in worthless agreements always end in failure. The two decades before Munich, we were busy creating all these multilateral institutions like the League of Nations and and writing other treaties like the Kellogg-Briand Pact, which outlawed war as a means of settling international conflicts. All we crawled on all fours to sign these worthless deals, the Locarno Pact, the Kellogg-Briand Pact, 
with Hitler, with Japan, with with uh, Mussolini, all three and violated the agreements, all three uh, uh, invaded neighbors. And all of this, I haven't even mentioned our 30 year bipartisan pattern of trying to appease North Korea. Remember when Condoleezza Rice was ran into President Bush's office with the signed piece of paper, so excited, so proud of her agreement. We agreed to withdraw our nuclear weapons uh, from South Korea in exchange for North Korea agreeing to uh, sign the non-proliferation treaty. And then two months later, two months later, they detonate their first atomic bomb. Yeah, well, Tom, you, as you know, uh, we, you can go all the way back to the you know, uh, uh, England and on the eve of World War Two, Chamberlain speaking to the parliament, waving a piece of paper just in, you know, that uh, Hitler has agreed to make these concessions or whatever. The the parliament erupts and cheers. People are throwing everything on their desk up in the air. You know, oh, it's a celebration with within, I believe, 12 to 18 months. Some of the very people that were celebrating that worthless piece of paper died wearing the uniform of their country at the hands of the guy that they thought they had bought off with a piece of paper. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Tom, look, in the, in the back to uh, Iran, the the irony or the idiocy of this, to, to make it even a, a finer point on it, uh, Iran is manufacturing drones for Russia to attack Ukraine with. The Biden administration is telling us that the, for the future of the West and America and NATO, Putin must be defeated in Ukraine. And yet we're sign, signing a sweetheart deal with one of Putin's major uh, weapon providers. Did anybody in the administration say we'll make these concessions to you, but we want an ironclad agreement? You will supply no more uh, drones uh, to Russia? Of course not. If they had made that agreement with Iran, that would be the thing that would be leading the leaks uh, about this deal. But anyway, it doesn't all this doesn't really matter to Putin because, uh, as um, as Biden said twice, in the last 24 hours, Putin realizes he's losing the war in Iraq. I think he, he mistaked that uh, Putin. I think he mistaked Putin for the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just this is not a foreign policy, Tom. I, I don't know what you want to call it. it. It appears to be a slow motion surrender. It, it almost is a slow motion probably a slow motion that will speak up, speed up, uh, move toward actual war. Because every time we take another step like this in a, in a weak foreign policy, we hasten the day. We don't delay the day. We hasten the day when our backs will be so against the, the wall that we will have no choice but to fight in a weakened condition with the outcome unclear or we'll face a point where in where we are incapable or unwilling to even fight news breaking late last night early today a chinese convoy of uh gray hold ships i.e military ships uh, together with russian warships traversing the taiwan strait but talk about burying the lead um 
the New York Times this morning, in the 21st paragraph, confirms that these two whistleblower complaints against Hunter Biden's influence influence peddling on behalf of his father, his tax evasion, his money laundering. Uh, it confirms that the DOJ did indeed put restraints on the investigation of Hunter Biden, despite uh, Merrick Garland's uh, twice uh, sworn testimony before Congress that he had no uh, involvement. But you've got to read, you know, 21 paragraphs into the story to uh, learn that even the New York Times has now confirmed key elements of these whistleblower complaints and what it appears to be. I mean, I don't this is no I'm not bringing coals to Newcastle for you on this. This is nothing less than a criminal conspiracy at very high levels, perhaps the highest levels of our government. And we're going to have to figure out some way to rip it out root and branch to expose it for everybody to see and to make sure those responsible are held to account. Now, throughout history, I was thinking about this this morning, most of our serious problems, and we as a country have had very serious problems and very low, low moments, have crept up on us, either because the government made mistakes, we underestimated, we overestimated, we faced natural disasters, external events, but never before that I'm aware of, have our most serious problems been created by government, by design, right? Our energy infrastructure is now being destroyed by design. China's being economically and militarily empowered by American companies at government direction and with government subsidies by design. They demand EVs, which can only be made with materials from China. They demand uh, green energy with solar panels that can only be made in China. Why is Joe Biden China's greatest strategic asset? Well, can you think of any reason why that is? Well, House Investigative Committee Chairman Jim Comer thinks he might have come up with 40 million reasons why Joe Biden is China's greatest strategic asset. Yeah, no. I mean, Tom, everything you just said uh, doubled, right? I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I, uh, I we've said this before. If you were the Chinese communists or any enemy of the United States, and you had a, a goal uh, that uh, you, you and your allies were going to replace the United States and its and its allies as the decider in chief of how the world conducts its business. Uh, of what countries around the world uh, think each day as they try to navigate a world in which they exist only because of the goodwill of other nations, right? Most countries are sitting ducks uh, if if somebody wants to do them harm. Um, You couldn't come up with a more comprehensive, effective plan than the one that we are daily being subjected to, not just by Joe Biden, who... uh, Seriously, folks, I, I mean, this is a man that can barely tie his shoes. I, the, the idea that he is plotting all this out uh, is something that's beyond uh, the ability to, to believe in, unless you're still, you know, believe in the tooth fairy. Uh, but, but I, you know, I, th- I think the mindset, Tom, is, is the globalist mindset. I think there are a lot of people 
uh, on the left wing of the left wing party in the United States that believe America is one of the major problems in the world, that America and not coincidentally Israel are the two nations that continue to cling, its people continue to cling to nationalism, to the idea that their countries are special, have a special role to play. In both countries, there's an element, a very strong element in Israel, but an element here, too, of, of the people of the Bible, the Jews and Christians believing we have a special role to play in the unraveling of history that God has in mind as time marches on to its inevitable conclusion. Uh, and so if you're a globalist and you're you want uh, an end to national boundaries, you want an end to national sovereignty, you don't want to be bothered by uppity populations that think they have a right to choose how they're governed. You want to transfer as much of the governing of uh, unwashed peoples as you can to unelected international bureaucrats who will make all the important decisions about the lives of people, everything from what you have to stick into your arm uh, for medical reasons to what you're allowed to spend your money about, uh, what, what you are allowed to teach your children, where you're allowed to worship and when, all of that is under attack. And the two nations that are the most resistant to it are the United States and Israel, and they both must be laid low. And that is the larger battle that, you know, we can get hung up on Donald Trump tweets and, you know, all the rest of it. Uh, I continue to think the reason he is feared and hated is that more than any other administration, his during his four years, uh, there there was mighty resistance to this globalist agenda. And the president said out loud what they thought would never be said out, li out loud again, that there's nothing wrong with the idea of America first, that a world in which America is first, is a world more likely to be at peace, a world that is more likely to be enjoying economic growth. Um, and th that has been something you can't say that even in Republican corporate, you know, uh, parties and so forth. That's that's not. No, that sounds wrong. Even in Christian circles. Oh, really, Gary? Does Jesus want us to think of, uh, you know, that we are great, that we should be first? Well, my Christian friends, uh, it's because America over the last, you know, 100 plus years was first that more scriptural uh, wisdom was spread around the world by than any other country in the history of the world as a wealthy Judeo-Christian America sent missionaries all over the world. Uh, to bring what Christians believe is the good news. So, Tom, you know, we get so bogged down necessarily by the latest stories in the New York Times, Washington Post. These are big things. These are huge things. And they're all being settled right here on our watch. And the, and the jury's out uh, on how they'll be settled. And I have a fear that the jury at this stage isn't going to be out very long. We... The Trump administration, even before the pandemic, um, I think one of our greatest contributions, and this was the president, nobody else, he got a lot of negative internal feedback, advice, suggestions from some of his senior national security officials. 
um, what was his ability to convince not just Americans, but the world that Beijing was in no uncertain terms employing a whole of government approach, political tools, economic, military, as well as propaganda to advance its interests at our expense, at our allies' expense and a partner's expense by applying power in these these provocative and dangerous ways. China's goal, the president said this in his uh, national security assessment that we wrote in 2017, uh, is to establish and preside over a sinocentric world order in which authoritarianism in um, uh, with Chinese characteristics will be the world's most dominant political system. And as we implode by suicide, that objective becomes a more and more realizable more quickly than anyone ever expected. The Chinese Communist Party just celebrated its 100th anniversary, um, and it's stronger today than it's ever been before. It, uh, David Goldman, who's a columnist for the Asia Times, has a great line. I don't know that I agree with it, but it's a great line, so it's always worth... What, is, this, what is the pseudonym he writes under? Uh, Spengler. Right. Spengler. He says that the Chinese Communist Party is communist the way the mafia is Catholic. Um, it's a great line. I don't know if it's true. I actually happen to think it might not be true because it, President Xi, he zealously um, uh, retains the strictures of the Leninist Party structure in its quest to you know, ever expand its own power. And the party's now become this ubiquitous. I was just in Taiwan last week, which is why I guess I'm focusing on China. Maybe too much for... Well, anything to get your mind off Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it's funny. We talked about that uh, the other day. The Taiwanese, you know, they're being very uh, diplomatically correct in saying, of course, you know, we support Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. But we paid you $19 billion for weapons we desperately need that you're giving to Ukraine. I mean, we need them. And unlike Ukraine, we actually paid for them. And we're six years behind on military deliveries to Taiwan. Um, and there, you know, Tom, I, I, I think, I, I'm sorry, I want you to finish this thought, but uh, it just struck me that I, I actually think the longer we're in, in Ukraine, the, the more likely it is that China will attack Taiwan. I know that usually it's the other way around. People say, well, if, if they saw us surrendering or withdrawing from Ukraine, it will entice them. But I think she looks at this, looks at us having a difficult time manufacturing weapons fast enough to supply Ukraine, looks at us taking weapons away from our allies like Taiwan. South Korea has been asked uh, to send some of their weapons. Uh, we can send them on to Ukraine. That he looks at that and says the American military is too distracted their 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 uh, military industrial complex is too strained this is the time to move um well i mean the thinking there got you did you hear this folks listen to that silence by the rose man <laughs> <laughs> the the thinking in taiwan and of course it's not monolithic uh and we had the great honor and privilege of meeting with a bunch of senior folks there last week. The thinking is that at this stage, 
China would prefer and certainly has the ability to completely eviscerate Taiwan's ability to defend itself without firing a shot. They now have the largest navy in the world. They have thousands of land-based missiles able to hit Taiwanese targets, able to put our uh, $20 billion carrier task forces at sea to the bottom of the sea. Um, And their question is whether she is willing to take the risk of the consequences that would come subsequent to that. We're forgetting a a three-letter word, a country with uh, five letters. That's Joe Biden, right? Jobs, J-O-B-S. A a five-letter, Japan. And let's not forget that any move on on, uh, Taiwan is a direct and existential threat to Japan. And they're... It's not that they've given up on us. I mean, they're obviously honked off that they can't get what they paid for. Um, but their hope is that uh, it would it would galvanize the region. It galvanize South Korea, it galvanize Japan, it galvanize the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, all, and and even India to an extent. But is that going to be enough? Is that going to be enough to deter Xi Jinping from... I mean, he's preparing his country for war. They don't make any mistake about that. He's very, very open. Yeah, it's amazing. I I mean, uh, I'm not suggesting we go down this road, which we've talked about a lot, but it did uh, jump out at me that uh, apparently in the last couple of weeks, there's been a major crackdown uh, on the entire LGBTQ community in communist China. I didn't know, I there, mean, I didn't uh, know there was one. Yeah, I know. I mean, we, we've talked re- uh, previously about how he ordered, I think a year ago now, that all sissy men, that's what the English translation of the Chinese phrase is, he, he ordered all the broadcast networks in China to get all sissy men off the air because they were not good examples for uh, Chinese youth and Chinese manhood. Uh, and now it's it's gotten further than that. I guess there was some uh, outward expression of uh, the LGBTQ communities happening in, in some Chinese cities. And uh, this week uh, that ended. Uh, so... Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, see, we ought to do that, too. I'm just saying that it's another it's another sign. You know, we're, we're debating whether it's a good idea to have transgender troops in the military. If you're in the military and you're changing your gender, the surgeries and chemical treatments you have to go through makes you incapable of being a soldier. Let's just be honest about that. So from a military readiness standpoint, there, there should be nothing in the military about transgenderism. But we're, you know, that that uh, that horse has already left the barn. The barn. Yeah, they are planning war. There is no question. They're very about open about it. They're absolutely very open about it. They make no two bones about it. I mean, it, 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 it used to be uh, Otto von Bismarck, who was the chancellor of Germany when it reunified, made a famous comment back when Gary was in uh, grade school. Um, <laughs> just before his death, he was asked by somebody what the most important fact of modern history was. And he responded immediately that the language of North America is English. In other words, it was our commitment 
created originally by Great Britain, inherited by us. We were the force and the power that would dictate how the world conducted itself, constructed itself. Um, and uh, I no, just don't I, think that's I just don't think that holds anymore. No, no. It, I mean, Churchill wrote a whole history of the English speaking people. You know, I, I mean, and the and the and the point of the history was that English speaking countries uh, tend to stand for a certain set of values and the history of those people is a glorious history that explains a lot of the growth of freedom around the world today to even say such a thing that there is a glorious history of the English speaking uh, people is to get you labeled a bigot, uh, you know, a a, a racist, a a neo-Nazi, whatever. I mean, we, you know, one of the one of the conditions uh, when talk about jokes, one of the conditions of being granted American citizenship uh, and being able to register to vote is that you have a working knowledge of the English language. When I go to vote in Fairfax County, there are ballots in 18 different right. languages. Why would that be? There's nobody is supposed to be voting that doesn't understand English. We, we've, we've made a mockery of it all, Tom. Uh, by, by the way, boy, this is, it's a good thing we don't have a big audience because you and I would probably both be having our, our bank accounts frozen and our, you know, everything else that's happening to people like us in, in Western countries right now. Um, if, if, if I hear one more time somebody in a position of authority tell me that diversity is our strength, I will scream. Now, I'm not saying there's anything bad about diversity. There's all kinds of, I like gardens that have a lot of different flowers. Uh, but diversity in and of itself is not a strength or a weakness. It depends on the nature of the diversity. I mean, you can have citizens of a lot of different shades of skin, and it could be a wonderful thing if they all agree on the central ideas of life and the nature of government and where our liberty comes from and what the core values are that a nation should stand for. You could have a country where everybody is the same color, but if they're divided over those fundamental things, they're going to be in trouble. So diversity by itself doesn't mean anything. And it's very clear. In fact, it's been written about by, ironically, some immigrants, how shocked they were when they came to America and went through the citizenship process and realized that not once in that process were they ever asked if they believed in the idea of America and the values of the American founding? Diversity. You know, a woman has written about this at length. Right, right, right. Uh, diversity. Austin, right? right. Diversity is a noun. That's all it is. It is yeah. a. It is a. It's a neutral noun. Diversity, if it strengthens us, is great. Diversity, if it weakens us, is bad. Now, if you're trying to look for a marriage partner or a business partner, 
you're looking not necessarily for diversity. You're looking for commonality. You're looking for commonality of purpose, commonality of goals, commonality of objectives, commonality of values. What unites us is unity, right? Unity is the verb. No, unity is the noun for, um, well, now my English is failing me. Unity. Exactly. Unity is the noun for uh, the verb unify. And if you have nothing that unifies you, you are not united. And a country that's not united is not a country. Uh, it's just, it's just as simple as that. Uh, it's Churchill. You know, we love to quote Churchill on the show. He had a great quote. Um, he said that an Englishman's mind works best always when it's almost too late. Um, I, I wish that wasn't true. But it is true. It certainly applies to us it, on this side of the pond. It certainly applies to us. Um, well, plus also, Tom, the the amount of time that um, almost too late represents is getting smaller and smaller. You know what I mean? It's uh, almost too late then uh, in, the, in the years leading up to World War Two. There were still months where. Uh, preparations could be made to avoid the inevitable, what was seen as possibly inevitable, which was a German invasion of the island nation of Britain. Uh, to, today, almost too late, it gets down to a matter of perhaps weeks. I, I, we're already, in, in my view, in deep trouble in the Pacific. Are the you know the flagship, no pun intended, of our strategy has been our navy and particularly, as you alluded to, our aircraft carriers and the ability of the jets and bombers on those aircraft carriers to project power uh, from uh, off the battlefield many miles distance onto the land uh, in in order to fight an enemy. And uh, I don't know why we didn't think about this. The Chinese communists have come up with uh, sea to uh, land to sea missiles that shoot further than the 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 flying uh, capacity of our bombers to get to their targets and get back to the aircraft carriers. Uh, That's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. China, they've got this. the DF-21D, I bet you're impressed that I know that, the world's first anti-ship ballistic missile system that's capable of um, hitting, moving ships at sea from hundreds, if not thousands, of miles away. Um, it can hit carrier strike groups. We got a briefing last week in Taiwan um, about this from some defense ministry uh, folks, um, that our aircraft carriers are theoretically vulnerable for up to 1,700 miles away. That's about two-thirds of the way to Hawaii. Um, And at present, there's no active defense system uh, against this, the purpose of which is clear, to push the U.S. Navy out of the Western Pacific. Now, the one thing that these Taiwanese folks did tell us, and I thought they were impressive, was that, which was somewhat reassuring from a technical and military capability, that we do have the capability to put up Tremendous resistance. That wasn't their issue. Their question was, do we have the will? Right? And somebody said, some guy said, 
Um, if you have a Lamborghini, uh, that's a great vehicle. But if it stays in the garage, what good is it? Um, and China's incredibly rapid development of these anti-access aerial denial technologies um, that can really isolate Taiwan. And Taiwan, a lot of the stuff that they're trying to buy, for, that they actually have bought from us, we just haven't bothered to deliver, are kind of miniature uh, uh, A2AD, anti-whatever-it-is, anti anti, anti um, uh, I just said what it was, and I don't the anti-access aerial denial systems. So Taiwan's mm-hmm. trying to develop an anti-access aerial denial system around Taiwan, um, and a lot of that is asymmetric. And Gary, if I had a dollar for every time this was brought up, they've ordered them, they want them, they've paid for them, and they're going to Ukraine. <laughs> now you didn't happen to come back from Taiwan with a, a Hunter Biden type. The consulting contract that you will help them get that stuff. Is that why you're bringing this up over and over again on uh, Bauer and Rose? Because if you are, I want to cut. Well, Rose. I tell you what, I'm coming back with. I'm coming back with a lot of bills. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the anti Hunter Biden. I'm the anti Hunter Biden. So any, you, that's funny you mentioned it. Let's can we get back to Hunter Biden? Yeah, um, I would love to. That's what I was trying to do because I thought I heard a noise outside my office. I was thinking maybe it was what you were dealing with, which was construction work. But then I realized I was hearing the feedback of people listening to our show that have all fallen asleep and are collectively snoring right now <laughs> because we have really gotten into the weeds, my friend. Well, I don't know that that World War Three is necessarily in the weeds unless they're very, very tall weeds. But this is, I mean, the duality of... um the Democrat slash media industrial complex, the anti-Trump industrial complex, which is anti-conservative industrial complex, um, their full-throated effort to imprison Donald Trump for life over a documents case, a civil documents case. They're trying to put him in prison for life. At the same time, we have just unbelievable mounting evidence of unprecedented political corruption, foreign influence peddling. And the Bidens are protected by it all. Ted Cruz, senator from Texas a couple days ago, suggested uh, somehow that a special counsel be appointed to investigate Merrick Garland. That'd be great. First of all, I don't know how that's done since it's only the attorney general that can appoint a special prosecutor, but... I'm sick of special prosecutors. I'm just sick. Yeah, goes, we don't uh, have uh, another five years, you know, these things. And, and what the, and once the special prosecutor is appointed, it cuts off any other ability in government uh, to get the facts about anything. Because the answer is why well, I really can't answer that question, because it's an ongoing investigation. Right. I mean, we need a five month plan, not a five year plan. And that could, that's impeachment. And we've talked about this. You know, do Republicans have the cojones to impeach? Democrats certainly have no problem whatsoever. They impeach Trump. It's so funny. They impeach Trump over a phone call to find out if any of the allegations, which we now know are true about Biden corruption, he's impeached for asking about Biden corruption that we now know was true. And Biden skates. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Again, this is why they're. This is why 
you know, I, I don't know if it's more hatred or more fear. I think the fear of Trump, it, it may be even a bigger motivator for the left than uh, their hatred of Trump. Uh, because unlike a lot of previous Republicans, he was willing to, you know, <laughs> like a bull in a china closet, go after this stuff. And I, I think they're scared to death about what he would do after the hell they've put him through. If he comes back into office, he, you know, he learned a lot during those four years. I certainly hope he did about how the system works and about how you've got to be extremely careful about personnel. Uh, you, you know, and that, that, that's what's tough. your line personnel is policy. I mean that yeah, I think, and I don't absolutely. mean to trash my former colleagues at all. Many of whom were brilliant, fabulous. I'm still very close to that was our, that was definitely our Achilles heel. Absolutely. And the reason it was is because that the very reason we won was the very reason we had those problems. The American people wanted Washington drained and they wanted someone from the outside. And when we came in, we were from the outside and we didn't understand a lot of that. We didn't know how it worked. We didn't know how true that Bowerism is, that personnel is policy. And the irony is, as Trump gets bogged down in these these outrageous, phony, felonious uh, uh, indictments and investigations, he's put together an incredibly impressive uh, AFPI, which is the America First Policies uh, Institute. It is, that it is impressive. Very impressive. Um, extremely detailed proposals and plans on a range of issues. And I think... I mean, you and I have talked about this. Who else can fight them like Donald Trump? I think maybe DeSantis can. But first of all, we don't know that. But secondly, who can fight better than Donald Trump? You you know, there's um, this phrase, you know, that we we have both used that uh, going into uh, 2016, uh, what a what a lot of conservatives were uh, demanding and hoping and yearning for was somebody that would carry their banner uh, that uh, could take a punch and then immediately throw a punch back. And you know it, it sounds like bravado, but uh, that that's the moment we're living in. And, and we've had a series of leaders in the Republican Party um, that couldn't take a punch. Or when they did take one, uh, they certainly weren't going to punch back because that we're, they're not going to play the game the way the other side does. Well, you know, that, that, <laughs> that idea, I'm not going to sink to your level, that, that might be fine, you know, if you're – uh, you're in an individual fight, although you're going to lose a lot of fights in a dark alley if you, if you don't use any of the tactics of the guy attacking you. But on the world scene and in the uh, the split in America and what the left is willing to do, if you continue to let them use the tactics they use, and we never do that when we come into power, you are guaranteeing that we will be the ultimate losers in this battle for America, and thus that America will be the ultimate loser. There, sadly, Tom, there, you know, if you poll this, 
the American people will say, oh, I, well, yeah, what do you hate worse about politics, the most about politics? Oh, those negative ads. I hate the negative ads. I turn them off. I don't want to hear them. I, the candidates that do that, I can't stand. Well, who'd you vote for? Uh, Joe Smith. Uh, well, you know, he was the guy that ran the most negative ads against his opponent. Well, yeah, but I like him for other reasons. The, the, the research shows that negative ads work. And if we put out ads that are all mourning in America, you know, oh, yay, yay, look at how nice we are. While the other side point, puts out ads that is accusing us of being racist, bigots, this phobe, that phobe, you know, whatever, it works. It ends up taking down the positives uh, of the, uh, our candidates and on election day. Uh, once again, we get surprised and, and lose the election. Well, here at, at World Headquarters of Bauer and Rose Radio at gmail.com, uh, just coming in over the transom, a five-bell AP alert. The United States Supreme Court today, uh, as we're broadcasting, strikes down affirmative action. It rules against Harvard and the University of North Carolina. This is a bombshell ruling. Um, Six three, I believe. Right. Ruled that race conscious uh, admission policies at Harvard and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill violate the 14th Amendment, violate the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution. And here's a quote um, from the majority opinion. The Harvard and UNC admission programs cannot be reconciled with the guarantees of the Equal Protection Clause. Both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve racial stereotyping, and lack of meaningful endpoints. We've never permitted admission, admission programs to work in that way, and we will not do so today, wrote Chief Justice John Roberts for the majority uh, 6-3 to three ruling. And it's funny because Roberts was having a crappy week up until today. Yeah, no, I agree. Who was the who was the liberal that uh, joined? Do you, do you know see it offhand? I assume that would be John Roberts if it was oh, six okay. to three. So, yeah, that's right. That, that's the sex. Yeah, there's only three uh, clear liberals. Uh, well, it's it, look. I don't underestimate the ability of the uh, of academe. You're right. Uh, to play games and and come up with ways to get around it, but but it is this is an incredibly important. A statement of principle. It goes to the heart of America, which was built on the idea of merit. Uh, you, you know, how, how do you justify discriminating against just to give a sort of a raw example? How do you justify discriminating against uh, a white kid uh, from eastern Kentucky who's bright uh, from getting into your university because you needed to admit uh, a minority student uh, from an upper middle class family. That makes no sense. I, I mean, that just, and in fact, it in itself is so unjust that it feeds a racism instinct that's always something that the hum human beings have to fight against. I mean, George Orwell used to say the first job of a responsible citizen is to state the obvious. And I think the obvious here, Gary, other than the fact that we're out of time, 
is that the way to end discriminating by race is to stop discriminating by race. Shocking, a shocking argument. Uh, Tom, just uh, one one final thought on this. The uh, I look, I uh, if the universities were really interested in diversity, uh, I would applaud that and I would encourage them to be more aggressive about it. But apparently it's a very limited diversity that does not include the faculties of these universities that are all leftists, all neo-Marxists all the time. They do not want a diversity of opinion on their student bodies. Nobody, no liberal at a university in America says, I, I, I don't still know if I can stand up anymore against the treatment I'm getting from my conservative professors about my liberal views. That doesn't happen on American university campuses. So uh, this is a great opportunity for universities to rethink the concept of diversity. To me, Tom, the one thing that a university, given that it's supposed to teach young people how to think and reason, the one th- diversity that a university ought to be committed to is diversity of thought. Absolutely. And they won't. And uh, I hate to be the skunk at the garden party, but uh, there were lines in the uh, majority opinion written apparently by Roberts that uh, universities may still consider an applicant's discussion of how race has affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. Um, Roberts, I guess, went on to clarify that this didn't mean universities can simply establish through application essays or other means the regime declared unlawful by the court, i.e. discriminating on the basis of race. It meant, um, said Roberts in the majority opinion that, quote, the student must be treated on the base of his or her experiences as an individual, not on the basis of race. And I'm afraid, remember Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, the whole, these are pretty smart folks, and they'll figure yep. out a way to get around it. Oh, yeah. Some of them have announced ahead of time that they will Just not ignore be it or, Right. Right. And I, you know, we don't know for sure, but, uh, I, I doubt if the court's conservatives uh, wanted to issue a five to four decision on this subject, because we know what's going to happen today and over the weekend. There will, there'll be a chorus of the racist Supreme Court and these right wing justices and so forth. So they, they wanted to get, you know, a, a six to three majority. And to get Roberts, you probably had to have this language. Right. Actually, very good point. We're out of time, Bauer. Yeah. You did it again. In America or us. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. It isn't funny. <laughs> it's, it's dark humor. <laughs> That's the only kind Bauer knows. Anyway, we'll have a great weekend. Enjoy your 4th of July. Remember how we used to celebrate 4th of July? We had yeah. parades in every neighborhood. Um there's no, we're, we're all exhausted after Pride Month every year. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm cutting you off on that one. That's too funny. <laughs> Have a happy, happy fourth. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Have a great week, everybody. God bless. Have a great week.